0: Uh, if you can turn in your Bibles, we'll get to the passage in a moment, 1 Peter 3, 1-7. As in most sermons, context is always vital, and today it is extremely important. We must remember that Peter is writing Christians who are living in the middle of a very large Roman Empire that is often hostile to Christians. So Peter's words here are written to encourage Christians not to disengage from society, but in fact to live amid a pagan world and influence it where we can influence it. As you will see, we are continuing with Peter's teaching of being subject to an authority for the sake of Christ. We've already preached and we're reminded of to be subject to governing authorities. We've been reminded to be subject to our masters or employees. And today he addresses Christian wives and Christian husbands. Just remind you of a couple of verses we've already preached. First Peter two, thirteen through fourteen. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the Emperor as Supreme or to governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Or first Peter two eighteen, this was to servants. Servants, be subject to your master with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. These commands come to us in a fallen world, encompass situations that are less than perfect. So I ask you a couple questions before I have you all stand for the reading of the word. How were the new converts supposed to relate to the spouses who may or may not be Christians? So the dynamic here is that both husbands and wives are lost. Then one gets saved. And so my question is, how are they to relate to one another and to society at large. Here's what Peter tells us. Please stand as I read the word of God in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of golden jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So that... Your prayers may not be hindered. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words. And yes, I am extremely aware that these are difficult words sometimes for us to grasp, to agree with. But Lord, you are the master of the scripture. We know your scripture is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the innermost parts. So, Lord, use these words that you've given me to impart your truth to this congregation, Lord. And we'll give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' most wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. So, let's talk to the wives first okay just reflect on verses 1 through 6 let me just read the the first sentence likewise wives be subject to your own husbands now I know I can see how do we submit to our husband what does that word mean it's you know it's a buzzword that we don't like So, let me initially get away from a whole bunch of things. Okay, first of all, I can see ladies wondering why Peter has six verses for Christian wives and only one verse for Christian husbands. Well, husbands, it's not because we have it all together. Let me just make that real plain here, okay? And it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't need six verses because we probably need 60 verses, okay? But the reason is because in Roman society there was a greater potential for family and societal disruption when a wife became a Christian than when the husband became a Christian. The potential was there for the new Christian wife to try and dominate her lost husband because God had saved her She was not to take her new freedom in Christ and lord it over her lost husband. Rather, as the scripture says, she must continue in her submission to him. So for a Christian wife, in the first century especially, her strategy needed to be to continue in submission to her husband, whether or not he was a Christian or not. Like in all the other instances that we've addressed in weeks before, the Christian citizen, the Christian slave, and the Christian wife, none of them had any authoritative change in the society they lived in. Each of these groups could, however, live out their faith in such a way as to make the authority glad they were Christians. Let me remind you, the Christian citizen in the pagan Roman Empire was to live not in rebellion or in protest, but they were to be active in doing good. The slave. Remind you was to go over and above what was required. And so we stay with that. The Christian wife here was to continue to respect her husband rather than lording her faith over him. She was to do good to her husband so that he would see her faith in action and potentially come to faith in Christ himself. That's where we're going today. You see, Peter writes that the lost husband would see his wife's conduct. He says in the passage that, his, that this conduct was to be respectful and pure. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But in general, she was to care for and love her husband. She is to see that she respects him and she is to conduct herself with purity. These things are true for all Christians' wives, whether their husbands are believers or not. Period. But before I actually get into it, I want to focus on two conditions where this submission isn't required. I can, because I can see everybody's churning, Okay. How about this, this, and this? So let me try to address two of them real briefly. First, there's the condition of the husband requiring his wife to sin. It is at this point that submission to Christ takes precedence over submission to society and or her husband. So whenever authority seeks to cause us to sin, then we cannot submit to that request, whether it is the governing authority our employees, or for wives, their husband. Another condition, the condition of submission to an abusive husband. God will not require us to submit to one another who uses our submission either as a license for their own sin or a means to lord over it. In all examples, perfection is not the condition for submission. Wives, you are called to submit to your husband in respect and purity. So how do we do that? Let's get into the heart of it. How do wives submit to their husbands in respect and purity? Well, first of all, they do it by what we call internal beauty internal beauty. Let me read verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external. I can already see some things. We're going to get to that, okay? Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear, I can see the ladies, okay? Let me tell you what Peter's not telling you, okay? Peter is not telling women to look bad externally, okay? Let me make that plain real quick, okay? He's not saying it's sinful to braid your hair or wear jewelry. He's not saying to avoid designer labels or expensive clothing, None of that is wrong and sinful in itself. However, what he is saying is not to focus too much on externals, but be mostly concerned with who you are on the inside. Who are you in the secret places that only God can see Let me say that again. Who are you in the secret places that only God can see? Who are you really? Internal beauty is far more valuable than external beauty. If you don't believe that, let me, you know, when you get a chance, go back to Isaiah chapter 3. And I'm only going to kind of hit and miss this passage, but I want to talk about Isaiah 3. In Isaiah 3, there is the verdict to the Israelite women who were not pure and quiet in spirit. But they were haughty and conceited. Here's what the Lord said. Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, twinkling with their feet, Therefore, the Lord will strike, okay? And then there's about four or five verses that say, I'm going to get rid of a whole bunch of stuff, okay? And this is how Isaiah summarizes it to these Israelite Romans. I didn't write this. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope, a skirt of sath cloth instead of a rich robe. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. branding instead of beauty. Can we see how much more valuable inner beauty is than external adorning? Again, there is nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with looking nice. But God sees modesty and inner beauty as very attractive for Christian women. He tells us to cultivate a quiet and gentle spirit and avoid a dominating and argumentative spirit. If you don't believe that, let me take you a little further in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 2, 9-11 says it this way. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but here's with it, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman lend quietly with all submissiveness. By the way, the most beautiful women on the inside tend to be very beautiful on the outside. Have you noticed? Wives, how do we conduct ourselves with purity and respect? Well, first of all, we conduct it with inner beauty. Secondly, how do we do that? With a godly example. With a godly Example. Let me read verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So how does this godly example portray itself inside women? Well, first of all, I want us to look at this verse, verses five and six carefully. Let's dissect this a little bit, okay? Notice in verse five, it begins with, for this is how the what? Holy Holy women, okay? Holy women. Holy means set apart ones. These women lived holy lives because they lived separate lives. They had separated themselves from the world out from which they came from. I ask women this simple question. Are you living lives that are separate to this world and still being submissive to your husbands? Secondly, secondly, Notice these women's hoped in God. Women who hope in God are women who look away from the troubles and miseries and obstacles of life that seem to make the future very bleak, right? I mean, if you look, (laughs) yeah, we don't have, I don't have to go there. And instead... These people that hoped in God, they focused their attention on the sovereign power of God, the love of God. Who rules in heaven and does on earth whatever he pleases. And who alone can make this statement that he made to Sarah? I love this statement. Okay? Here's the statement he made in Genesis eighteen fourteen to Sarah is anything too difficult for the Lord and then he said this at this appointed time I will return to you at this time next year Sarah shall have a son okay we all know about Sarah right 90 something years old okay biblical hope is not our modern day flighty definition of maybe so. I hope so, you know. Okay, I hope that, No, no. Hope is an absolute assurance of future good. So when women hoped in God, God reckoned to them his righteousness and then they were declared right. By faith. These women's godly things, they were holy. They hoped in God. And how did they do that? Well, look at that verse. By submitting to their own husbands. Thirdly, they needed to be submissive to their own husbands. The ideal of a godly wife's submission Was modeled by Sarah. Go back and read this story about Sarah. Godly women of the Old Testament adorned themselves by cultivating the moral and spiritual beauty of an inner life. And one of the aspects of this beauty, one of the main aspects of this beauty, was a dutiful submission to their own husband. Peter explains and then gives them an example to follow. Sarah had that proper adornment. She followed her husband and he led her into godliness. She wasn't perfect. None of us are. And there was times I can guarantee you she wasn't submissive. But the overall portrait of Sarah was a godly woman whose adorning was internal. We don't know what Sarah looked like, and I don't think it really matters. But we know that she was very beautiful to God because it says so. Women, as the scripture says, you are Sarah's children if you seek to imitate her example. Just go to Romans 4 for a moment, and I don't need you to do that. But you can look about Abraham's, right? It told us in Romans 4 that we are Abraham's offsprings if we follow his example of faith, right? Well, Peter captures this for the women by saying you are also women, children of Sarah, as you have her faith. She did not fear, but rather believed. You too can have a strong faith like Sarah as you seek inner beauty. Holy women who hoped, who were submissive. Women, I'm almost done. In closing this section, I want to ask some personal questions to the women here especially if you're a wife or you want to be a wife. Let me just ask you a few simple questions. I don't know if they're simple, but they're questions. Are you faithful to maintain your spiritual life through Bible study, prayer, regular church attendance, and fellowship with God's people? Because if you're not willing to do any of that, then you're not going to be much of an influence to your husbands. Do you ask forgiveness when you have done something wrong? Do you accept corrective criticism graciously? Do you allow your mate to make mistakes without condemning him? Do you focus on what you appreciate about your mate Or do you tend to find fault with him? Are you a good listener when your mate tries to explain something? And here's the final one. Do you become irritated over your mate's weaknesses? Or do you provide acceptance, encouragement, and a proper example? Okay, ladies, that's yours. We're gonna gonna come back to all of us in a moment. Husbands, it's now your turn. Okay? Husbands, your turn. Verse seven. Oh, you see what word we got again? Likewise. Okay, we're gonna talk about that one in a moment. Okay. (laughs) Likewise, husbands, live live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Whoa. So husbands, what are we to do? And I'm going to focus it on in three different ways. Christian husbands are to be considerate of your wives. Okay. I think The passage I read said, we need to live with our wives in an understanding way. Peter begins this verse with the same word he began the women's section with, which is what? Likewise, Likewise, okay? So what does likewise mean? Well, he used it at the beginning of our text for a Christian wife to submit to the authority of her husband in the same way we are to submit to the authority of the government or to submit to the authority of our boss. So in a very real but slightly different way, the husband is to submit to his wife. Oh, I can see everybody saying, oh, no, husband's, we're not called to submit to their authority, but we are to submit to the wife's needs. Let me say that again. Amen. Husbands are not called to submit to their authority, but to submit themselves to the wife's needs. In other words, husbands are to stop thinking about themselves permanently and consider and literally submit to the wife's needs. Now, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to show you in three ways according to verse 7. Number one, consider the weaker vessel. And Okay, ladies, this, let's relax for a moment, okay? <laughs> Christian husbands, consider that your wife is the weaker vessel in many ways. Let me make this world plain. She's not inferior to you in any way. But she's different In many ways. So. I can ask. I can see everybody wondering. So how are wives and or women in general. The weaker vessel. Well let me explain. Generally. The women are weaker physically. Men. Our wives are physically weaker than us. Let's just get over that okay. Ladies get over that the same thing okay. Because of this. This we must consider ways to help them in this area. Husbands must never, ever, ever use this fact to intimidate their wives or be violent with them, okay? That's not what it's saying. Husbands, here's what it means. It means you need to be the protector of your wife. You need to be the protector of your wife. There's a great word that we don't use much anymore. Except I've heard it Jeremy say it a few times. That's the word chivalry. And we're going to get back to that in a moment. So let's put that in the mind. You think you're going to get away from chivalry? No. Guys, we're not going to get away from that, okay? But you are her protector. When there's a bump in the night... Generally, we go check and see what's going on. When she's threatened, we step in. Men, find out the things that just stress your wife out and take over those tasks. Maybe your wife is not wired to take care of the bills. Or she gets stressed with major decisions need to be made. Men, stand up and be a man and fulfill your Christian duties of being the protector, plain and simple. So consider her the weaker vessel. Secondly, it says, consider your wife by granting honor. Okay? By granting honor. Christian husbands are to deem their helpmate, whom God has given them, as precious and so they are to treat them with honor. Christianity introduced chivalry into the relationship between men and women. In the Greek and Roman culture, it was common for the husband to expect his wife to carry out the domestic duties, but not to enter into a true intimate fellowship with him. In contrast, the Christian husband is to love And respect his wife. Why? Well, we're going to get to that in a moment. So his prayers won't be impeded. It says that. Okay, I didn't make that up. Since his prayers would include petitions for our salvation, it is important that he develops an intimate fellowship with their wives. To honor your wife includes respect or esteem. What it doesn't mean is a cold, methodical interaction. Okay, some of us can be cold and methodical. Just meditate, men, on the contrast of honor. Just meditate that for a moment, okay? Contempt. Disdain. Disregard, neglect, sliding, or the overt opposite of honor, dishonor. Okay? The cruelty which is often the hardest to bear is often not deliberate. Men, we don't do it deliberately, but the product of sheer thoughtlessness. We're not thinking. Chivalry may be dead. I hope not, but it might be dead. But every husband must be a knight in shining armor who treats his wife like a princess. So let me get back to this chivalry thing, okay? <laughs> Men, I told you I wasn't gonna get you off of this, okay? Okay we need to open doors. We need to allow them to be first. Okay, I love Jeremy because he makes sure in the youth group, (laughs) ladies, it's your turn, okay? The husband should treat his wife like an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase in which is a precious treasure. But here's what generally, unfortunately, happens too often. After they get married, many a husband forgets to be kind and gently and often starts to take his wife for granted. He forgets, I hope that's all it is. He forgets that happiness in a home is made up of many little things, including the small courtesies of life. Big resentments often grow out of very small hurts. Husband and wives need to be honest with each other. We need to admit our hurts. And then we need to seek forgiveness and healing. Giving honor to the wife does not mean giving in to your wife. Okay, I can, Let me make that plain too. A husband can disagree with his wife and still respect and honor her. As a spiritual leader in the home, the husband must sometimes make decisions that are not popular. But he can still act with courtesy and respect. Granting honor means that the husband respects his wife's feelings, respects the wife's thinking, And respects the wife's desires. Okay. Here's my science coming into existence. Okay. Husbands. We must be the thermostat. In the home. We must set the emotional and spiritual temperature. That is our obligation. The wife often is the thermometer letting him know what the temperature is. Both are necessary. You can't have one without another, as the old love and marriage song used to say. The husband who is sensitive to his wife's feelings will not only make her happy, but will also grow himself and help his children live in a home that honors God. Thirdly, not only would you consider her as a weaker vessel, as granting honor, but consider that your wife is an heir with you. It says that, okay? Husbands, rather than using your strength or anything else as intimidation, remember your wife is an heir of grace with you. Husbands, in some ways you are different than your wives, but in other ways you are exactly the same. You are not to dominate her in any way because you and your wives are heirs of grace together. So, here's a question for you guys. What ways do you try to manipulate your wife to get your own way? This must end because you are to submit your desires to her needs and you are to submit your strength to her protection. Let me read that again. This must end because you are to submit your desires to her needs and you are to submit your strength to her protection. Peter closes verse 7. With a strong and strange warning. He gives, I hope he gives us some motivation for taking his words with utmost seriousness, husbands, okay? okay? He didn't say this to the women, okay? He didn't attach this warning to the women, okay? So guys, yes, you got one verse. But you got a warning, Okay? He says, take this with utmost sincereness. He says, that your prayers be not hindered. So what does that word hindered mean? Well, it comes from a military term that has an army digging a trench in a road. Excuse me for a moment. So it's a military term for an army digging a trench in a road to stop the enemy's advance. That's what hindered means it describes what satan will do in your spiritual life if husbands do not take this seriously satan will dig a trench and your prayers will not get through. a marriage that is out of tune emotionally or physically will soon be out of tune spiritually To put it bluntly, to put it bluntly, and I'm not trying to mince words today. To put it bluntly, you can't ignore your wife and get through to God. The Almighty always takes the side of the weaker vessel. When we are truly one with each other, then we are truly one with God. God has wired us so that there is a direct connection between the horizontal and the vertical. The way you treat others, husbands, especially the way you treat your wives and your children, has a direct impact on how God responds to your prayers. That's a pretty high indictment for us husbands. Husbands. Genesis 2.24 says this, that two become one. And Mark 10.9 says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. However, the competing demands of life can often separate this oneness that God has meant for marriage. So as this passage in 1 Peter Three, one through seven has suggested, men and women, we have obligations to each other in this oneness we call marriage, right? In closing, and you've got them on your bulletin. In closing, here are some practical ways to put this in practice. And this is directed to both of you, okay? To both of us. First, first practical ways to make this oneness work is to invest in your spouse. And I purposely use that word, invest. Okay, we know what it implies. No one wants to be last on a priority list. When life's competing priorities crop up, it's easy to find yourself consumed with those matters. We often find that we give the best of ourselves to our careers, to our children, and to our friends. We even participate in positive and seemingly innocuous things, oh, like volunteer for the church, or coaching our child soccer teams, or etc. You can fill in the blank and can easily take away that precious time from our spouse. This may result in our spouses having only what's left over at the end of the day. Taking some time to give quality attention to our spouse's emotional, physical, and spiritual need will help to demonstrate that you care and that they do matter. Demonstrating this could be just as simple as taking 15 minutes to ask about the events of the day. Cooking a special meal. Surprising them with a little gift. Going on a weekly date. Oh, I know. yeah. See, Matthew 6.21 says it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So number one, invest in your spouse. Number two, lay down your need to be right. In our quest being right, we often disable our ability to listen what our spouse may be trying to communicate to us. We're clouded. By trying to be right, we hold a particular stance about how we feel. Then we engage our pride, and essentially, we are certain that we are right. None of us have ever done that. Oh, yeah, I, I did. I'm guilty all the time. Okay, but here's my question: At what cost does being right have in a marriage? If we are truly one in our marriage, then there is no being right because we are already one rather than competition. Next time you are in a disagreement with your spouse, decide to surrender your need to be right to both hear and understand your spouse's perspective. I couldn't believe our verse of the month. It's it's on it's it's on my sermon. Okay, Romans twelve ten. So let me re- read you Romans twelve ten. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above who yourself. So invest in your spouse. Lay down your need to be right. Thirdly, and I know this sounds strange. After, especially after I just got done with number two, but don't forget your own needs. Contributing towards and connecting with your spouse means also having an awareness of who you are and what your own needs are. When we lose touch of who we are as an individual, it can be difficult to identify who you are in the context of a marriage. It is healthy. Let me repeat that. It is healthy to have your own thoughts and opinions. It is healthy to have interests that are outside of your home and marriage. You know, I can relate to that, okay? When I was struggling, my wife knew the best way for me to settle down was to go take a long run or take a long hike or whatever, okay? It is healthy, In fact, delving into your own interests can make your marriage healthy and whole. I can say, we can say, how can this be? Here's how. As you discover more of who and what your interests are, this builds an internal grounding, confidence, and a self-awareness which you can now bring to your marriage, to your spouse, to your children but let me just give you a side caveat to all this. Make sure, make sure these interests do not take precedence over your marriage. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Finally, let us set goals together. We know the old adage, the couples who pray together stay stay together. Well, I'm going to add another one to you, okay? The couples that set goals together achieve together. Schedule a time where you and your spouse can sit down and talk. Oh, I know. I had a difficult time with that, okay? Sit down and talk about what the future holds for you both. What are some dreams that you would like to accomplish in the next year or two or five or ten? What sort of lifestyles do you want to have when you retire together? It's just as important to regularly review the goals you have set with your spouse as well as to discuss the journey along the way. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Wives and husbands, invest in your spouse. We don't need to be right. Think about your own interest. Set goals together. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, These are your words. Lord, thank you for helping me walk this difficult passage through, Lord. Let us reflect on each other what we need to do as men and women to have a oneness in marriage, Lord.